This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. We say welcome to you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're joining us. And if you um, hang around Modern Homemakers podcasting, you know that this season we have chosen the subject of listening for learning and love. Listening for learning and love. And the last few days we've been talking about motherhood about the stay-at-home mom, about the calling of motherhood. And I want to spend a few days on the subject of children, but I particularly want to use a book which I have recommended now since it came out. And I'm going to say that's in the early 70s or late 70s. It's titled How to Really Love Your Child. And it's written by Dr. Ross Campbell, who is an MD... um, counselor. And he has written this book, and it has sold millions of copies. As I said, he's a counselor and a family practitioner. He writes, you know you love your child. You attend school events, care for physical needs, and discipline when needed. But did you know that most children, even in loving households, doubt that they are genuinely and unconditionally loved? In this marvelous book, I tell you, he says it, it does absolutely shake the foundations of what we've known about the emotional needs of a child, and it gives us many wonderful tools. So I am picking and choosing from the chapters in this book, particularly about discipline, about loving discipline, and then about the very specific ways that we um, nurture our children by um, showing them love through eye contact, physical contact, and focused attention. I, I must confess that part of this goes along with that listening that we've been talking about and how we listen to our children, or don't listen to our children, as the case may be. So I want to talk to you about this book and from this book in the next few times that we are together. Um, The chapter titles are very interesting titles, and I have referred to this book in my teachings for the last 35 years. Uh, He talks about the emotional tank. We'll talk about that in a few moments. His discussion um, about the anger ladder and how he describes how anger fits. And anger is, of course, something that we deal with, but we also deal with it in our children. And I can't encourage you enough to have a copy of this book just so you can have that ladder and and see where your children uh, fit in the the anger ladder, a child's anger. Negative, primarily negative, positive, and negative, and positive. And we never think of there being positive anger, but there is such a thing. So I want to begin today by talking about uh, listening and learning to love. And these podcasts, particularly the next two times we are together, I'm going to talk about discipline. What is it? And what is loving discipline? And then in the next show, I will do how to show love through eye contact, physical contact, and focused attention. Dr. Campbell describes early in this material the discipline issue. 
And that is the issue of separating discipline from loving. On this side, I love my girl. And on the other side, I discipline my girl. And this often leaves an imbalance in parenting. And I can still remember reading that for the first time thinking, well, that's not an imbalance. That's just, that's either, you're either or. But for those of you who know me, I am a very black and white person. And it was very clear to me that I had set aside how I did discipline. Discipline over here. That's, that's what we do to correct behavior. And over here was what we did to show love. And I think that this confusion um, can be from the assumption that discipline means punishment. And his material offers us the certainty there is no separation between love and discipline. I'm going to say that again. There is no separation between loving your child and disciplining your child. The most important ingredient in discipline is that the child is certain of the parent's love. Now, I would like to pause there and say, let's talk about defining love, but that would only take us about five years to do that. So I want to tell you what Ross Campbell says in his book about the definition, and he gives a great word picture. He calls it an emotional tank. Now, I'm, I love metaphors that give me a vision. Can you see a tank? I don't know what tank you see. The tank I always see, it's not the propane tank. It's not the gas tank in my car. It's a scuba diving tank. I don't know why I never went scuba diving. I've watched a lot about it, but I've never done it. So that's the tank I see in my mind. And he describes the tank as that it's emotional and it needs to be filled in a way that that child's emotional tank is always full of love, which gives them freedom to step out. And the first, the first illustration that I ever came to was the realization that a small child, and Campbell may say that in his book, but the small child who's just learning to walk, some of you have children just this age, and they look up at you and they take a step and don't they look back to see how close you are? They take two steps. Then, then the child is walking reasonably well, and they're walking in a crowd, and the families are all at home, and they start to walk away from you eight feet, ten feet, but they, they catch a look over your shoulder, their shoulder, to see where you are. There's this need to make sure that the love quotient, the mom, the dad, is somewhere close by if something should happen. Now, is their mind cognizant enough to say, I may fall, I may need my mother? No, but their little emotional tank is full enough of that parent or their parents that they walk away, they want to make sure that they're in the vicinity. So this is really true in all relationships that we have with children. Parents, husbands, wives, grandparents... This is exactly what um, a child needs, that emotional tank is full of love. And as I said, we'll talk how we fill that up next time we're together, eye contact, physical contact, and focused attention. And those are Campbell's three distinctives. Is this not what we're missing in our culture? 
I wish I'd understood this when I was a young mother. As a follower of Christ, I want to say to you, I believe it is never too late, never too late to take this concept. Well, what about my child? She's an adult child. He's grown and married and has children of his own. It's never too late. You're not disciplining that child. But it's never too late to find new ways to have deeper understanding of what it takes to love a child. I promise you, it will spill out on how you love everyone in your life. Good behavior from a child is simply not enough to make them grow strong. Now, I'm telling you that this is absolutely how I began parenting. If this child was good, if this child looked good, when we went someplace, I was doing a very good job. Now, you do notice it's all about me. It wasn't all about her. And I have a dear friend who raised four children. They're lovely children. And she took three of them, who were the first three children, and they were girls, to a woman's home who she highly esteemed and who was older, you know, one of those older women's houses where everything is neat and clean and orderly. And she had four kids at home. They're running around being crazy. And she said, I pinched two of them in the upper part. Have you ever done that, Mom? It doesn't show there. It's very tender there. And she said, I grabbed it and pinched it so tight that when we walked in the house, those little children were afraid to say hello. She tells it not in delight, but embarrassment. Discipline is a training of a child in mind and character to enable the child to become self-controlled and a constructive member of society. That's what discipline is for. I want to say that again. It's the training of a child in mind and character that allows, enables the child to be a self-controlled person and a constructive member of our society. That is a big view, but it is what discipline does. I think we train in every, through every form of our communication. We guide by example, by modeling, by verbal instruction, by written instruction, by teaching, by providing learning experiences. And in this training, we begin, or in this communication, we begin to define what, what our discipline looks like. Guidance by example. What is worse than many of us who are 50 years or older have heard a parent or a grandparent say, don't do as I do, do as I say. That is not guidance by example. Mom, why do you tell us not to? And then you said that about the police officer as he drove away. Children see this and they see through it. So example and modeling are very important. Verbal instruction. And how do you give instruction to a small child? Do, can you give them written instruction? No, you cannot. But as they get older, children should be able to read a list of instructions that they're being asked to do. Why is that? Because we're, we're forming them in all the ways that they're human. They need to be able to read a set of instructions if they're going to open up the TV box and put it together, or they're going to buy a car and they're going to learn how to drive it, or a teacher's going to give them an assignment to write a project or write a paper, and they have to do it in the model that the teacher's instructing. And then there are teaching times, I've told this story many times, but it is always clear to me 
how I failed my daughter in teaching. I was teaching her how to wash a window, a mirror, a piece of glass with three steps. And if you subscribe to our YouTubes, there's a YouTube and how to wash a window done by Donna Otto. So I showed our daughter how to do that. Bing, bing, bing. Three steps. Wet it down. Wash it off. Use the squeegee. Here's how you use the squeegee. And I can still remember it was in the, her bathroom, which was on the hallway by her, by her bedroom. And I walked away and went to the other part of the house. Bing, bing, bing. And I walked away. Like 15 minutes later, she came back. She was dissolved to tears. And she said, I can't do it. I didn't do it. This mess is all over. There's marks all over. And I can still remember my first instinct was, what do you mean you can't do that? So simple. Wow. That told me a lot about myself. And more than that, I walked back in. And when she asked me one of the questions that she had three or four of, I realized I did not stay long enough so she had the right instructions. They weren't written. But I had given her verbal instruction, but not loved her enough to wait till she understood it. As an adult, I still say, I, I'm a slow learner. You have to go through that again. When it comes to technology, I have to go through that three times before I finally get it straight. So training comes in every form of communication. Guidance of the correct kind is more important than punishment. Guidance of the correct kind is more important than punishment. A child who feels fully loved wants to identify with his or her parents. Did you hear that? A child who feels fully loved wants to identify with you. A child who does not feel fully loved does not want to identify with you. you can remember in the back seat of our car, a little girl who we were taking home from school, and my daughter was talking in her normal voice, and of course her mother could hear that. And I heard the little girl say, don't talk so loud. Your mother can hear me, can hear us. And I thought, oh, that little girl, whatever she wanted to say, she felt an adult couldn't hear it. And I was grateful that my daughter felt that she could do that. The strong bond of love allows the child to respond with reception. They receive it. They're not angry. They're not hostile. They don't have resentment. When a child does not feel love, they respond in resentment or anger, or they either shut down or become bigger than life. This is an emotional disorder that is very prevalent in our culture. And I don't need to remind you of the mass killings, the mass um, riots, and the kinds of things that we have seen in our country forever, uh, been longer and stronger the last few years. But it is a reminder that individuals who engage in this kind of disorder, which is disorder in our culture, is primarily because they have an emotional disorder within themselves. So there are two important things. The first thing is seriously important that we listen to our children. Oh, I thought to myself, thank you, Dr. Campbell, for reminding me that it's very important that we listen to the children and what they are communicating. And this I learned as a mom. I already had a child. I needed to get down on her level when I spoke to her. I'm bigger. I'm taller. I'm formidable. I'm a formidable person, period. I have a loud, booming voice. I have a large nose. I can be very... <clears throat> Formidable looking, scary. 
And so then to, sh- to look down at her and talk above her. So I began to learn to kneel on my knees, to get on my haunches so that I could communicate with her. And then communicating with your children when they communicate with you. I've talked about this through the years. Do you know the cries of your child? Do you know the cry that is pain? Do you know the cry that is sorrow? Do you know the cry that is disappointment? This is learning to listen to your children. The importance of controlling our emotions. If you've been making this mistake, apologize to your children. It's all right. Go to them and tell them you've learned something new. I can remember a young woman who came to me. She had three adolescent children, had not turned them how to be organized. She read my book that I had written on organization, and she said she was determined to turn the table and the tides of organization in her home. But she said, how am I going to make them do that now suddenly when I never made them do that before? And I said, well, you go to them. They're adolescents. They're old enough to understand what an apology looks like. Apologize. Tell them you're very sorry you should have started this earlier, but it's never too late. And begin. I kept in tabs with her during that process. It was really holy ground. So when you fall off the stage of life by not controlling properly or listening, apologize again. Apologize, apologize, apologize. Do it sincerely. You are modeling for them the awareness of your own fault. My daughter said to me, um, after she left for college, you know, Mom, one of the things I never saw much of in your life was your failing. And I was so struck by that because I thought, no, she didn't. I, was vi- I wanted her to look at a model that was a good model. I wanted her to look at the right model. The problem was that I didn't model for her what losing was about when I made a mistake or when I was out of control. I managed all that within myself and let her see um, the good side of me. Even when I was doing that, I was really showing her what passive-aggressive behavior looked like. So there are five steps. Control your anger, discipline and punishment, results of this approach, put the horse before the cart, and corporal punishment. Now these are topics straight from Ross Campbell's book, in the chapter that he's talking about discipline. So I'm going to give you uh, a minute or two on each of these. It's important to remember that uh, anger is difficult to control under certain circumstances. And there are five things to look for. When a person is depressed, when a person is afraid, when a person is physically not well, when a person is fatigued, whether mentally or physically, and when a person's spiritual life is not healthy. Those are times that you can look to yourself and say, I need to watch my anger. When you're tired, when you're sick, the first thing that comes out is not always the right thing. So remind yourself of that. When you control your anger, it's because you're aware of these things. You're sad, you're afraid, you're not well, you're fatigued, or you're not where you need to be in your walk with faith. You can determine how to control your anger. Uncontrolled anger is the largest detriment to good discipline. I'll say that again. Uncontrolled anger is the largest deterrent to good discipline. So then, what is discipline and punishment? It's training. Discipline is training. 
Discipline is training, and it's sometimes it's the training of the parent. I hope that you realize you may have much to do before you could expect your child to respond well to your discipline. It doesn't happen the first time, and you have to stay at it. What happens often is that we assume that this discipline is equal to punishment. The better disciplined a child is, the less punishment will be required. So what is the punishment? The discipline is be home on time. The child is late. Then comes the punishment. So the better the child is disciplined and disciplined in love, the less opportunity that there will be for punishment. So I want to read a couple of verses to you out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 24, and I'm going to read them without um, commentary. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. And then Proverbs 23, 13. You hear my pages flipping? Do not withhold discipline from your children. If you beat them with a rod, they will not die. They will not die. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by a neglected child. Now, I want you to know that those passages are not talking about you're beating up your child. This does not give you credentials to slap a child in the face, to use a belt on a child. These are overt examples of punishment. And they often become the reason why we let our uncontrolled anger release into our children. If we thought the rod was for punishment, it would be very hard for us to read the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd who has the rod, which is given to guide his sheep. I think scripture, scripture is quite helpful when Paul instructs the fathers to not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. A young child's behavior, a very young child's behavior, can usually be kept in control with some corporal punishment. They don't like it, it hurts, they don't do it. But that is not the way to discipline a child as they grow in age. Put the horse before the cart. It's kind of another one of those two steps. Children can learn well only if they are happy, they feel safe, content, confident, accepted, and love. They can learn that. So learning how to love your child is the first step of the two steps of discipline, not let's learn another discipline trait and then taking it home. And we haven't actually worked out our own inability to love our child. Corporal punishment degrades, dehumanizes, and humiliates a child. And there is much, much research these days that indicates that men and women who grow up to be violent in lifestyle as adults are children who were trained by corporal punishment. If they didn't do it right, they were beaten. If they wanted to learn something new and they weren't learning it, they were beaten. So there's a lot of guilt that goes on with that kind of treatment. I always say there are two kinds of guilt. 
There's mother guilt. You know what that looks like, the mother who gives you the stare, the stink eye, and you do whatever she says. That's mother guilt. And then there's moral guilt. There is nothing wrong with moral guilt. It is what draws us individually to do the right thing. It is what our parents show us and model for us and in love explain to us. So the next time we are together, we're going to dig into, okay, this is what discipline looked like. So now what does the loving side of discipline look like? So when I am disciplining my children, I am fully aware of the fact that I love them and I love them unconditionally. It's very hard to love another human being who is willful, who is shouting and screaming and stomping around, even if they're three years old. It's very hard to love a person continually who is willfully disobedient. And that person could be your little person, your little child. So the discipline of how to discipline them helps us to learn more about how we love them, how we can love them. But remember that the love and the discipline go hand in hand. And all I want to say to you as we end this time together, only God can reveal to you, mom, dad, the one who is teaching and training a child and teaching and training the will of a child so that when he is older, he will know what to do can only discover the amount of love they have by talking to their father and looking at their father's way of loving them. My father, my heavenly father, loves me unconditionally, gently, quietly. He shows me in so many ways how I am to love another human being, and especially a child. Well, I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers, and we are running out of October and running right into November, and in November, we will begin our Advent series. The Christmas candles are here. Hurry and get them ordered. We don't have that many of them. They come from England. Thank you for those orders that have already come in. We will be getting them out this first week of November, and you'll have them in plenty of time. The candle costs $10. If you are looking for a great way to tick off a family's name on your Christmas list, buy them a family candle. With that candle comes a two-page instruction for reading a portion of scripture every day. And the candle and the Bible and this small instruction sheet becomes a way to celebrate Advent together with your family. Little children love to see the candle lit, and they love to blow it out. And big children learn, whether they remember it's Advent or not, they say, let's do that candle thing again. So we'll begin our Advent series in the next few weeks. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of understanding your own way of discipline.